Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 74 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the lockout rolls on, but so does the That's So Mets podcast. We are not taking any breaks here. Uh, We are not hitting the pause button, much like baseball certainly has. It is a quiet time of year. So episode number 73, we still have a lot of fun stuff to go through today. The Chris Mazza episode, a, a pitcher from 2019. He's the only player in franchise history to wear the number seven, uh, 74. That is a, a number that has not come up uh, in Mets history much at all before him and not after him. So he holds that uh, rare, rare, unique record with the Mets as well. Jeff McNeil potentially on the trade block. An interesting report from Pat Regazzo from Sports Illustrated. We'll dive into that. McNeil's value, uh, why McNeil might be on the block as well, and and maybe some different options or kind of return McNeil can bring. Uh, ben Zosmer uh, promoted to assistant GM of the New York Mets. He was Heavily involved in their analytics when they brought him over from the Dodgers, but he now uh, has an elevated role. So we'll dive into him, of course, and as always, we'll answer your questions. So hope everybody had a merry, merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, uh, whatever it is you celebrate, and we are moving on to the new year. Joe, happy holidays to you, my friend. How are we doing on this mini little break we have? Happy holidays to you, too. Everything's great. Just getting some time off to relax and, yeah, just excited to talk some Mets, despite a whole lot of nothing going on. But like we've said in in weeks past on this show, even when nothing's happening, there's something happening with the Mets. It always feels that way. And and how about your Cowboys as well? Joe is on, Joe's riding high right now. He's had a little time off from work. The Cowboys are putting up uh, 40 points and a half of football, basically. Everything's all good over there on Joe's side of things. So, yeah, we are going to dive into some things today. And I think number one that stands out, is the McNeil news and not really anything that would shock anyone if Jack, Jeff McNeil was traded? I can't tell you how many times on this show and just last week when we had Clem on, uh, we discussed, you know, there's that trio, J.D. Davis, Dominic Smith and Jeff McNeil. And we have a feeling at least one of them will most likely not be in a New York Mets uniform next year. And they are from that original core. And, and you and I are, are both believers that McNeil is ironically the likeliest of the three to have a bounce back year 
um, in this upcoming season just because of his sample size as a hitter. And on top of that, his versatility to be at least an average defender at multiple positions, whether it's a corner outfield, second base, you know, in an emergency situation, you can play him at third. Um, So we liked the value of McNeil, but obviously there's a lot more that weighs into that. We know what happened with him and Francisco Lindor throughout the season. There's also a lot out there that is not pretty for Jeff McNeil, whether it was the reports of him, you know, initially really just flat out ignoring uh, defensive alignments, uh, even some kind of report out there of him basically telling, you know, Lindor, you know, shut up. I got it. Um, I've always really liked Jeff McNeil as a player. I think he plays hard. I think he's a when he's on, he is the type of player you want, a guy that makes contact and hits for high average and gets on base and pretty good athlete that could play a lot of positions. But there are things clearly behind the scenes that went on last year that uh, are going to make this an interesting decision for the Mets. And on top of that, the fact that he clearly probably has the most value of the three in the eyes of other teams. So, Joe, what was your just initial take on uh, this report? And honestly, how do you feel about McNeil probably being the guy that is on the block now. It's so tough. Uh, Just from a pure baseball perspective, I don't understand much logic in training Jeff McNeil. Uh, The team right now really uh, has lacked offense. You know, they obviously added Marte and Canna and Escobar. You hope those guys help out. But the Mets were the 27th ranked offense this past year. And McNeil was a part of that. He had a tough year. But all you have to do is look at his minor league track record, his first three seasons, which, you know, most of them were parts of seasons. But every year was over 300 average, over 380 on base percentage. Like this guy's a true hitter. So from that perspective, it's like just put him at second base, tell him and Lindor to kiss and make up and just make it happen. Like that's what Buck Showalter's supposed to be doing here. Come and clean up the culture. If there's issues fix the issues that are in the locker room and you should be focusing on what's going to give the Mets the best opportunity to win. But I also understand conversely on the other side, there's like you said, more that goes into this is him and Lindor's uh, relationship irreparable. Like, is it, is it bigger than we know? Cause odds are, it's not like it was just one day McNeil was just like, I don't feel like shifting and Lindor got pissed and choked him. Like for that to get to that level, this had to be something that was brewing for quite some time. Uh, I think it's also probably a turnoff for some people in the organization, how he reacts every time he gets out, like slamming his bat, MFing, like all that, like it, it gets old. Like you're going to get out even the best players in the world. Like you could get out uh, two thirds of the time and you're going to be one of the top hitters in baseball. Cause you're going to bat 300 plus. So uh, I don't think that really works too well. And like you said, on the positive side, you know, from a baseball perspective, there's probably more teams that would bet on his bounce back than a J.D. Davis or a Dom Smith. So potentially there's more value with McNeil. It's honestly a really tough decision. I don't envy the position that uh, Billy Epler and the rest of the organizations in when this lockout ends, kind of who wants, who, who goes, who stays. But I think it's apparent and it's been talked about for a while now that Jeff McNeil could be on the move. And we know that they're looking to change the culture of the organization. And, you know, maybe McNeil's attitude is just another one of those things that they're like, let's capitalize on his value. Now he has the multiple years of control. We should be able to spin him into something pretty good. And, you know, they'll then have to get another bet because 
second base will now become a void, which opens up possibilities for, you know, maybe Chris Bryant, maybe someone else via trade and Eduardo Escobar having the flexibility to play third or second almost equally works out, gives you the the flexibility to get who you want. I think you nailed it. I think what this comes down to for me, this isn't a, a yes or a no situation. This is more of a, you know, what can you get in return, right? That's the conversation because for me, I've been vocal that I think McNeil has a bounce back year. I've been vocal that he is the most valuable of the three. I don't think there's much rocket science in, in those arguments. I think it's a pretty uh, generally you know, popular take. But I think also there does come a time where they do need to do things differently. And the beginning of free agency has shown that you get not only Scherzer, but we know you know, guys like Escobar and Marte and Canna, not only are they extremely productive ball players, winning ball players, uh, but they are well liked, well respected, and true pros. And I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those like, you know, get off my lawn. Um, you know, you need to wear your hat forwards. <laughs> I'm not like I'm the furthest thing from that, right? I mean, you and I, Joe, we're still uh, young guys. We grew up as young baseball fans. You know, watching Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, t- take BP with his hat backwards and the swingman shoes, like everything like is the coolest thing in the world. It, but at the end of the day, you, you know, you have to at least clean up certain things. And with McNeil, you're right. You're spot on that. It's just, it's tiring. Like I, I love the emotion, right? A couple times here or there, I absolutely love it. But when it's just like out of control sometimes. And, and once again, there's time and a place. There are times where, Anyone in any profession, especially sports, which is high intensity, and a lot of us sitting in these chairs can't even begin to comprehend uh, the level of emotion or even frustration that that can bring on you at times. But I, I just think, okay, well, why is <laughs> why is no one else in baseball like that, right? I, really, I don't see anyone else that just it's just out of control. And you know what? I can even live with that. We have lived with it. We never really insult him for it. But the stuff with Lindor and the defensive alignments, and quite frankly, this is where baseball is going. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, but not only were the Mets one of the most shift-happy teams in the league last year, but it was working for them. So why are you, you know, so adamantly against this? Lindor has been vocal that he is not a fan of the shift. And Lindor is a guy that does things, you know, the way they're supposed. He does it because he's being told to, and he he's been shown that it works, and he did, and and it worked. So you have guys that are not true believers or have a little bit of hesitancy towards the shift that are buying in because it's results. It's like what Buck Showalter said at his press conference. If anyone thinks out there that I am not going to take information that gives us an advantage and use it then you don't know anything about me. So that, to me, was the most concerning thing about this with McNeil. Uh, Now, people sometimes make mistakes. People can change. Absolutely. And if McNeil, if they have a, if Buck, Buck's got to be the guy, right? Have an honest conversation with Jeff and say, hey, man, like, I don't mind the emotions. I like the way you play the game. But you need to be bought in with the team, not just bought in for Jeff McNeil. That's what this comes down to. And if, if you're not, have an honest conversation and we'll find a fresh start for you somewhere because teams will, especially in baseball, where so much of the player acquisition game is based on 
money or lack thereof you have to spend on the player. There are plenty of teams out there that will say, we don't care that Jeff McNeil throws his helmet or or doesn't want to shift all the time. Uh, He's a cheap, cost-effective player that we think can bounce back to an all-star caliber player uh, that will send the Mets something really nice in return. And people will think, why would they do that? Well, there's plenty of teams out there that are unloading or going to unload salary because that player is hitting free agency after this year and they know they're not going to pay them. So they would rather get a player that they think has a lot of upside, uh, has a good enough floor that is under team control for the next two plus years instead. So that's why this I'll make it clear. I know that whole rant sounds like I just went anti Jeff McNeil after telling you guys for how many months I want Jeff McNeil on this team. I'm buying a bounce back. I'm still that way. But I think an important part, and this is why I love podcasting more than just, you know, the character limits of tweeting or even articles or things like that is it's good to break down the other side of things and say, well, this is why this also can make sense as much as I think the other way. So that's just where I'm at right now, Joe. No, and I think you make a lot of great points there. And uh, just so everyone knows, Jeff McNeil right now is projected to make $2.8 million this year in his first year of arbitration. So uh, basically everyone can afford that. So that the, the money is good. The control is good. The versatility is good. The, hit, the natural hitting ability is good. Uh, it's just a matter. And I think you hit the nail on the head. This has to be a conversation with Buck Showalter and Billy Epler whenever they're allowed to talk to players again when this lockout ends. Be like, look, this is what we're going to do. This is where the organization is headed. We need to know if you're all in. If you're all in, then you could just not trade Jeff McNeil, right? Like if he's willing to change and willing to adapt and, you know, just willing to take the information that, like you said, showed results. It'd be a different story if they were doing all this mindless shifting and the defense was terrible and everything else graded out poorly. But they go, look, we're doing this shift, which made us top three in defensive runs saved in all baseball. Positioning is very important. Um, And like you mentioned, if the $340 million shortstop who openly doesn't like shifting is willing to do it, then who the hell are you to be against it? So uh, there's there's a lot that McNeil has to work through. But I think, you know, I think the interesting conversation will be where is the best fit for Jeff McNeil? What can you get for Jeff McNeil? Is Jeff McNeil a headlining piece with a, you know, with maybe a Ronnie Mauricio, like uh, Mike Puma suggested in the New York Post, do you trade a McNeil and Mauricio to pull in a Luis Castillo and get that big number three starter behind DeGrom and behind Scherzer? Uh, Do you look to a team like Oakland, which McNeil kind of screams Oakland A to me, where you can bring a Frankie Montas or a Sean Manaya or a Chris Bassett and maybe a Matt Chapman along with him for McNeil and, you know, other pieces. It gives you some flexibility there where it's like any team you could afford him uh, can't afford him. So if you're looking to trade McNeil, it's not like he's making $9 million and it's like, well, Oakland won't take his 9 million or Cincinnati won't take his 9 million at 2.8 million. Any team can afford that. So the market should be strong for McNeil. I think uh, I also don't think based on the year he had, you know, just because they weren't in New York, they're 
certainly aware of what the off the field stuff was with McNeil. So teams will weigh that. And I'm sure if I were an acquiring team, I mean, I do this in fantasy football and baseball all the time. If someone's struggling for three weeks, I'm trying to trade for that guy. And I'm saying, well, he's struggling. He might not turn it around. And I'm trying to get him at a lower value. Uh, but McNeil should still be able to be part of a good package that helps this team. But the only thing that will be important to note is if they do trade Jeff McNeil, they need to be sure that they bring another bat in. They don't just plug Robinson Cano at second base. There's just no way that can be. Yeah, that cannot be the plan. You're absolutely right. And I think if they moved McNeil and I'm assuming it would be for pitching, that's always been my thought with trading those guys and McNeil having the best return out of all of them. It would be for pitching. That tells me, honestly, they like something on the free agent market in terms of offense. I, I don't know if that's a DH. I don't know if that's Chris Bryant. I, I don't know who that is. But I, that, to me, would signal we are going to buy the areas that exist in free agency, and we are going to trade for the areas that do not. And that alone, to me, is a really good sign of things from this front office. Yeah, that's sound that's sound baseball decision making. I mean, when you look at the trade market, like I would take any of the Oakland starters or Luis Castillo. And there might be more arms out there that we're not talking about, that we're not aware of that are on the block just because it's dead right now. No, nothing can happen. Like I'm taking those guys over Carlos Rodon, over Yusei Kikuchi. Like I'll take any of those guys over them. So maybe the smart play is, hey. We got Scherzer in free agency. Let's get our next pitcher through trade because there's potential impact out there. Whereas on the free agent market, there's, you know, Rodon, obviously, like we're not going to deny his upside, but the health is the health risk is way too big, at least in my opinion, for the Mets to really heavily invest there. But then the guys in Oakland, like Frankie Montas had a massive year. Sean Manaya had a really big year. Uh, Luis Castillo had a tough start and then turned it around in a big way, like Castillo's the guy that if you're looking to get that next, that frontline guy to get that quote unquote three headed monster in the rotation, you know, going and getting Luis Castillo, if he's available, would would certainly fill that. And then, of course, Cincinnati, if they decide to keep Castillo or our old friend Sonny Gray could come into the conversation. Uh, Tyler Maley, Molly, however he says his name, that guy, he's he's pitched really well the last two years. So he could be an option. So they have they have some flexibility. And um, you also see what happens with taking money back. Like we can go all day on, on the possibilities. Like with Cincinnati, can you get Castillo at a slightly discounted rate if you take back Eugenio Suarez or Mike Moustakis, one of the contracts that they don't want? And Steve Cohen can afford to do that. That's the fun. So if you're able to do that, maybe you lessen the prospect hall. And it's like McNeil and maybe a step below those top guys. I don't know. It's just spitballing, but something that could be uh, at least talked about. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? 
getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I think it's um, it's going to be really interesting when things open back up because I think the Mets have a lot of plans left in them. As crazy as that surge was before the lockout began, I think there is going to be it's going to go right back to it when, when this is over and the Mets are going to be active. So a part of that activity from the Mets is a guy that was just promoted, and that is Ben Zosmer, uh, who's been promoted to assistant GM. I think a lot of people are excited to see an outside voice come in and rise to the organization pretty quickly, especially an analytically driven mind, obviously a very bright guy. Um, you know, I, I remember you specifically were very excited about this when he came over from the Dodgers. Uh, so what is your your take on Zosmer, Joe, for an organization that uh, has really bought into data since Cohen bought the team? This feels like the guy that is absolutely leading that charge. Oh, it's a meteoric rise for Ben Zosmer in a short period of time. I mean, he was an analyst, one of the upper end analyst in the vast Dodgers analytics department. And the Mets said, how would you like to run one the way you see fit? So Ben came over, uh, director of analytics or research development, whatever. I think that was the title. And in one year, they went from a department in the analytics that was had full-time employees of two or three and then a couple interns. So it was like five or six people deep. And in a calendar year, uh, he was able he's been able to bring this department beyond 25 at this point and expected to be north of 30 uh, come opening day. Uh, the analytics doesn't just stop at the big league level. 
They, uh, Tommy Tanis told myself and Jacob Resnick on an episode of Mets Perspective, which you can go back and watch on SNY from this past summer. You know, it's obviously old, but it still has some pertinent information. Uh, they assigned specific analytics people just to the amateur draft. Um, now it's come out that they're going to assign uh, analytic analysts to each level of the minor leagues. So at the major league level, there's a couple analysts that really work with the big league team. They're going to try to replicate that model at the minor league level. So there's going to be someone in St. Lucie, uh, someone in Brooklyn, someone in Binghamton, someone in Syracuse. So that way the organizational philosophy is consistent uh, from the top to the bottom. And that's going to be the way you build toward that sustainable model. Because for years and years, it was at the big league level, the Mets did it this way. And at the minor league level, they did it a different way. And that's why you sometimes saw some not good development and maybe guys not pan out quite as well. Uh, I think they're headed in a fantastic direction. And, you know, Ben is a rising star in baseball. Uh, I think that's abundantly clear. He went in two years from being an analyst to a director of analytics to an assistant GM on the highest payroll team in baseball. So it's going to be interesting to see how his future goes. Um, I I hope Steve Cohen remembers all those teams that told him that he couldn't talk to their candidates. Uh, so when when teams come a calling for Ben Zosmer at some point, you know maybe he'll tell him to piss off. He yes, exactly. He also has uh, my favorite aesthetic of any front office executive across sports. This is a man that. And Joe sent me the picture of him right away that not only rocks the L.L. Bean backpack with his name on the back. It says Ben on the back. Everybody remembers those L.L. Bean backpacks that are customized with your name stitched on. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, Ben Zosmer, assistant GM of the New York Mets, the richest team in Major League Baseball in obviously one of the most iconic cities on planet Earth, still rocks the L.L. Bean custom backpack and the digital watch. Um, I he better just... still rock it. I'm not sure if he still rocks it, but he better still rock it. Like, I want to talk to Ben because I want to get down to his I fashion because the, the swag is unreal. This is a guy that dresses for work and, and clearly just goes, I don't care what anyone thinks. I am diving into the numbers today to make us better. And I, I can get behind that. So I'm going to throw in an early question here from the mailbag from Pat Chamberlain. <laughs> Pat said, Ben Zosmer's personalized L.L. Bean backpack is getting a much-deserved 15 minutes of fame. With that in mind, what high school accessory of yours would you choose to make a part of your signature look in 2021? Wow. Signature look. Oh, man, that is I mean, at at some point of my childhood, I definitely had a New York Jets trapper keeper that just stored everything in it. Now, as a draft guy today, that does not work for one team, but covering all of them, I I don't think I could rock the New York Jets trapper keeper, but I could definitely just rock the classic NFL logo one or an NFL one with all of the team logos on them, but the logos from the nineties, not the logos today. I think that would be up there for me. Where, where are you going with this? You already said you had the LL mean backpack like Ben. Oh yeah. But that was pre high school. That was when I was, yeah, I was I know, younger. I had a red, for everyone I, it was except him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I get that's true. Um, I had a red one actually, just so you know. I had a red one with Joe on the back, but I think I'm torn. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd go bleaching my hair blonde like in sync or the bead necklaces from Abercrombie and Fitch. I'm unsure. Like those, are, it's a it's a real tough decision. Oh man, there are so many. Now I need to go back and in, into our rundown. So. Pat did say high school. I was going to say I had the dyed front flip hair, but that was when oh, I was in like oh, second you, grade. I was going to say you look like the dyed hair front yeah, flip. Yeah, I had it. I had <laughs> it. And then in high school, I had really long hair, which a lot of people probably can't picture. Uh, I mean, it would literally come out of the back of my lacrosse helmet. That's how long it was. And then I cut it uh, before our senior year championship and never, never grew it out again, sadly. So maybe I'll bring back the long hair. Uh, with the with the football trapper keeper, man, this is a good one. Remember how baggy jeans were back then? Oh yeah, I, you could fit I, like eight of me in one pair of those jeans. Did you ever have a pair of Jinkos? Of course. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Jinkos, like man, style's hilarious. Uh, I remember the Abercrombie fit the Abercrombie and Fit shirts. Like my mom would kill me. Like Hollister. Yeah, she made Hollister was I think a knockoff of Abercrombie or like Abercrombie owned it. That was like yeah, their they quote unquote cheaper uh stuff or whatever. So I definitely had my share of Hollister, but my mom would treat me every once in a while to an Abercrombie t-shirt. I remember having a yellow one with red font that just said Abercrombie across the oh chest. My God, the dude. most plain tee ever. Yellow and with red font. You were like McDonald's yeah, Abercrombie. Yes. Yes. And she, and she uh she was very upset because it was very expensive. Like she was like, this t-shirt just says Abercrombie. There's nothing about it. And I'm like, but it's Abercrombie and Fitch, mom. And Dude. yeah, but I definitely was big on the bead necklaces. I had I had my share of those. So I think I'd yep. bring those back. Um, and I don't know if if I should I uh, dye my hair blonde, like my hairstyle now with the buzz sides. Do I just uh, dye the top blonde and keep keep the beard I, I didn't have facial hair i couldn't grow facial hair until like three years ago so still uh, well hey i mean i never thought i would and i have i have some now so uh you'll you'll get there i think i had a uh i had a pretty gnarly mustache when the pandemic really was like it you remember how in the beginning it was so grim like nobody know if they, they could go to yeah. like a grocery store yeah, I mean, there was a point where I'll find the picture and send it to you. Um, my girlfriend took it of me on my roof at my old place. I, I had like I basically built a gym on my roof, my old place. And I I genuinely look like an 80s porn, porn star with the, you should the go, tank top and the mustache, like a real you should, mustache. You should go full mustache, shave everything else and just don't touch your mustache for like six months. I see what happens. I'll do it after the draft this year because <laughs> I, like I. Uh, Dude, yeah. imagine that on draft coverage. That would be electric. I would love to, but <laughs> it, it, I have to add the draft to my reel every year. And and I think my uh, I think my agent would call me and be like, "What the hell were you thinking? This is what we what we <laughs> what we use for the entire year." So after the draft, and we'll jump on streams, and uh, you'll see the mustache slowly slowly grow each week. All right, let's get all the way into the mailbag now that we've gotten completely off the rails, and it's been. An, uh, an absolute blast. And we've warned all of you, we are going to get off the rails during the lockout because we just, we can't fill 45 to 60 minutes with no baseball activity going on. We've, we've tried our best and we will continue to do so. Next question is from Alec, and it is a baseball question. We'll break these up pretty well, uh, odds and evens. 
He said, would you rather Lindor finish top three in the MVP voting this year or a Cy Young from Max or Jake? I will jump in front of you, Joe. I would take Lindor. What about you? Very easy answer. And the wording is how I'm going to play this. Would I rather Lindor finish top three in MVP? So I'm going Lindor. Yes. Uh, Him top three in MVP or a Cy Young from Max or Jake. What he doesn't note is I can have Max and Jake finish second and third in Cy Young. So they have <laughs> they have two elite years. They don't win the Cy Young. They, maybe they split up their votes and you know the, the vote goes to someone else. So I have a top three MVP and two top three Cy Young candidates. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'll tell you what, if there are so many reasons, like Max and, J- and Jake are, when they're healthy, they're going to be, really really good and I think that for Lindor as well but I think I still think there was about 15% of this fan base because of the contract and the ups and downs of last year that are still a little um, you know whatever it's different the 15% some people think Lindor is uh, a bust here some people don't like Lindor some people are worried that he's not worth the money some people think he won't pan out in New York Uh, obviously you and I don't think any of those things but man, if he had a a MVP caliber year in his second year with the Mets, it changes everything. It just changes everything, man. It changes his yeah. the perspective from the entire fan base, uh, the confidence of this team. When you have a, a, an MVP caliber shortstop on your baseball team, it changes the dynamic and the attitude of the team. So I, that one to me, as crazy as it sounds, is kind of a no brainer. Yeah, and being funny aside, like I was playing with the words, uh, Lindor's bounce back is massive because, like I said, I mean, this offense was 27th in baseball last year. It was a a poor offense, and Lindor was a big reason. You know, he had a horrible stretch. He played better in the second half, and, you know, he obviously got injured too, but, like, he played more like Lindor in in the second half, the one that you should expect. But if I could get him in the MVP conversation, like you said, it quells all the narratives about him. I think, uh, I think you'll see a hundred percent of the fan base fall in love with Lindor. Cause you know, he's got the smile, he's got the swag, he's a gold glove defensive player. He hustles, he gets dirty. He's willing to steal bases. Uh, he, he pimps some home runs. So like if you could get Lindor to be the Cleveland Francisco Lindor, uh, I think, that's the best possible outcome because, you know, we're talking about this Mets team, you know, for the last two months, all the moves that they made, signing Marte, signing Canna, how's the offense going to go? And like, we almost in a sense, because like, we don't cover, like talk about it so much. We almost in a sense, forget about the fact that they acquired a superstar shortstop and paid him $340 million last year. And he had a poor year. Like he's a big part of how this offense needs to bounce back. Yeah, you're you're right. It's um, it'll be a topic on the shows in the coming weeks because it, he's a huge, you know, everybody's like, oh, DeGrom's health or if, you know, uh, Max can pitch as well as he has at this age. And those are all, you know, fuck all these conversations. Um, And maybe it's good for Lindor to fly under the radar this offseason, honestly. But let's be real. The the three hundred, you know, forty one million dollar man. It's got to be big time for this team. And I, I think the, the game against the Yankees to me was kind of his moment of like, OK, th- this guy's got the fire. He's He's got the attitude. I think we're going to be OK here. But Mets are going to be playing in some meaningful games, I think, next year. And, and he's got to be ready to go. All right. 
The next one from Alex uh, Takapina. He said, I know you guys were looking for some different questions. What's the first Mets game you both remember attending? Favorite game you've seen live? Love the pod. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Alex. My first Mets game, all I remember was Steve Traxel was pitching against the Mets for the Cubs. So that had to be, oh, man, had to be in the 90s. Um, That's all I remember. I remember sitting way, way up at Shea Stadium. And it was, uh, you know, the Mets lost. They played terribly. The Mets weren't even good then. Um, my favorite game I've seen live. Ooh, I was at the game where Cespedes hit his first City Field home run, and the Mets won that day. And that's when the Mets started to everything felt different that day. And it's it's a it's a game that nobody really talks about. Um, but that so that was obviously. 2015 and that was a night at city field i remember cespedes hits that home run and i think everybody kind of looked at each other and went this team is getting hot at the right time and they have pitching the the bat they acquired at the trade deadline is very for real and is is sizzling and we might be able to make a run at this thing. And leaving the ballpark that night, and you know, it's an interesting game to pick because I've been to, you know, I've seen Santana pitch, I've seen DeGrom pitch, I've seen, I was at the World Series game where Conforto hit two home runs. Like, I, I was at the game against the Dodgers when, it, the best game I was at was against the Dodgers when Utley came back and everybody booed the shit out of him and uh, the bat flips and the Mets just crushed the Dodgers. They scored like eight runs early. I mean, that might be the best one I've been at. But to me, the the one that that goes under the radar that I'll always remember was that regular season game when they started to get hot and turn the corner um, because it was special. It was unpredictable. It, it felt, you know, it had magic to it. And and I'll never forget that. So my first game, uh, I like you, I don't remember who they face, where, like anything. I the I just remember Rico Bronia hit a home run. That's what I remember. My about God, that game. what a throwback name. Yeah. So Rico Bronia hit a home run in the first game that I went to. That's kind of what I recall. Um, don't know who they faced. Don't I don't even know if they won. I just know that I was little and I remember the name Rico Bronia. And I remember being so excited going to a Little League game uh, another a couple days later. And, you know, after the game, I'd buy the pack of cards at the thing with the bazooka bubblegum or whatever inside and uh got a rico bronia card i was just like hey mom we saw this guy hit a home run and i'll always remember rico bronia for that reason as far as favorite game oh man there's so many and kind of like how do you want to look at it like going to playoff games was awesome like i want to do that more often so hopefully that's that's starting now so like obviously going to an nlds game an nlcs game a world series game in 2015 like going to all of those was really cool um but like you also have like the cool moments like i went i was at the todd frazier off sean doolittle home run game that was like huge uh the michael conforto getting his shirt ripped off game like that kind of started the trend of everyone getting their shirt ripped off uh i've been to many cool moments i went to um the 20 inning game a few years back uh and actually was like the first date for me and my girlfriend after we like agreed to like see each other again um we went to the game and stayed for a a full 20 inning game for someone that i kind of barely knew that's (laughs) actually insane let me stop you right there i'm my you guys were meant to be that is mind-blowing to me 
Yeah, she's a diehard, diehard. Like, she might watch more Mets games than I watch, truthfully. Like, if I obviously watch at least some of every game, she doesn't miss, like, any game. I Like, if something else is going on, I'll, you know, bounce out on a Wednesday night or Thursday night or whatever. But, like, she loves the Mets. So, like, yeah, first time hanging out, we, we made it through 20 innings. So, uh, like, that's a cool one, too. Like, yeah, bunch of cool games, a bunch of different really good moments. And uh, obviously seeing them you know, win playoff games was really great. Like I saw, you know, Murph's home runs uh, against Chicago in the NLCS. So it was just, yeah, definitely been a lot of great games. And, you know, the hope is that the best games are still to come. That's right. That's a good way to end that one. There, There is a lot of great uh, live baseball for the Mets that is going to be special. So, all right, from Eric, can Max Scherzer have a Randy Johnson like Age 37 season this year. I mean, yes, the answer is yes. Well, it's mind blowing. This made me dive back into how Randy's career ended because you think like, oh, my God, he was incredible. Um, his age 37 season for Arizona. And then you forget that he was even better his age 38 season and that his age 40 season, he was dominant again. It's really mind blowing how not only Randy pitching until he was 45 years old, but the fact that Randy from really age 30, you know, we'll just start at 37. He was dominant before that. But from 37, you know, to 40, he was lights out. He was unbelievable. So, yes, some guys are different. Max Scherzer is different. Randy Johnson was different. I, I am all in on a believer that Max is going to is going to be the real deal for at least the next two years. I think Max will have a huge year. Um, I don't think I'm expecting him to throw 250 innings, though. No, which, that's which, just which, ridiculous. Which, that's not which the game is, anymore. Yeah. So, like, you know, can he win 20 games? Sure. Do I care about how many wins he has? Like, technically, no. Like, I care about how many times the Mets win when he starts, but I don't care if he personally gets 20 Ws under under his thing. But, you know, 2.49 ERA seems perfectly reasonable. Like, you know, we're definitely questioning Max Scherzer, right? Like he had the sore arm or the dead arm, whatever, and everything that happened in the playoffs and he's older and yada, yada, yada. But like we quickly forget he was a top three Cy Young guy. So like he was an absolute monster this year. And uh, he also had the really cool flex uh, in the, when they were announcing the Cy Young, obviously he didn't win it, but they take all, you know, all the finalists and they put them on like video on MLB Network, and they talk to them and just waste a half hour uh, talking to them about whatever nonsense. And Scherzer just swiftly had his other Cy Youngs right over his right shoulder so on good. the video. So, like, yeah, he uh, he's going to – I think he's going to have a massive year as long as he stays on the field, which, you know, outside of the dead arm, historically there's no reason to think that he uh, won't pitch mostly a full year. And – you know, he could easily post like that 2.5 ERA range that uh, Randy Johnson did at 37 years old. Just won't throw 250 innings. That's a really good point there, Joe, is that the innings are that's not fair to expect. But the productivity in, in terms of being lights out when he's on the mound. Yeah, I, I, I'm a believer. All right. Last question from episode number 74, the Chris Mazza episode from Steve Miller. Of course, got to end it with Steve, who always sends great questions Week after week, Steve asked, if you were a top flight high school prospect who wanted to play in college and not sign in the draft, 
what college would you pick to go to in 2022? So Steve said he would go to Vandy, and I agree um, because it, it Vandy checks every single box in terms of baseball because it's not only a top flight baseball program uh, with a coach that, you know, obviously has gotten it done, but it's a really, really good school academically, and it's in Nashville. So you're literally checking every box of having fun, getting a really great degree in education, and going to a top flight baseball program. I, I would find it hard to answer this question any other way unless you're a fan of a school or want to stay local to where you grew up. Uh, so I was not the best student in the world. Uh, I so the That education, surprises me because you are a the, very smart person. I so you just, just didn't give a shit. Yes, I, it was like I was good until middle of high school, 15, 16 years old. I became like a, I wouldn't say rebellious because I never really got in significant trouble or anything. But like I was just, I would always, I was the kid that would be like, why am I learning this? Where am I going to use this in life? Like I always ask questions and, you know, looking back, that kid was right. Like I didn't use most of what I learned in high school. Doubles <laughs> down. Yeah. Like I was right. Other than English class. Like that's the one class that I excelled. And uh, that has obviously carried over into what I do now. But, you know, wasn't the best student in the world. So if I were a top, uh, a top flight high school prospect, you know, when I hear that, I hear first round pick, in which case you should sign with a pro team and not go to college at all. But if you insisted upon going to college, uh, Vanderbilt is obviously right there. And a close second is probably Mississippi State. Um, it's a fun school. It's SEC. Uh, they have an excellent baseball program that just won the national championship. I think, you know, and they've put out a bunch of, you know, really, really good professional players. The Mets have a bunch of Mississippi State uh, in their farm system right now and in their scouting department. So I think I think Vandy and Mississippi State would do it as far as like, you know, I'm a top flight guy. I want to, you know, boost my draft stock for when I'm coming out of college. Uh, and then alternatively, you could think like the fun perspective, like a, a school like Arizona State, Obviously, is one of the top party schools in the country if you want to have some fun for those few years. Um, and they obviously have a pretty good baseball program. Um, they've produced some high draft picks as well. Uh, it's you know it, it would be up to personal preference, but I'd kind of lean a little more like you and Steve where I'd focus on like the top baseball program and put myself in the best position to be the number one overall pick in three years. And I think you'd put yourself in the best position at a school like Vanderbilt or uh, Mississippi State. Yeah, that's I can't disagree there. I think that's a really good runner up. I, I think obviously what they've done uh, in that conference is just unbelievable. So a good question from Steve. We don't really it's it's interesting to put yourself in those shoes. And I'm sure uh, other people will have takes as well. Everybody's different. Everybody's got different preferences. There's no right or wrong answer to that question. All right. So with that being said, episode 74 is in the books. Great to talk over. Uh, the McNeil situation, uh, our, our analytics god slash king, the L.L. Bean book bag legend, Ben Zosmer, book bag Ben. Um, and of course, the mailbag is always. I really hope everybody had a great holidays. And hopefully this podcast, um, you know, got you through some of those long drives wherever you had to go or whatever it may be. And as always, we are going to keep up with these streams on our YouTube channel. So thanks to everyone that subscribed there. We've 
Uh, we've had some great guests on, and we're going to continue to do that. But Joe, before we get out of here, got to ask you closing thoughts. Episode number seventy four. Well, soon we're gonna we're gonna get some MLB draft talk in here. Uh, yet yesterday, I, I spent some time. I watched a couple of the top high school hitters, uh, a couple of the top college hitters. I watched some video on them. So uh, over the next few weeks, we're gonna start getting you familiar with some of the top names that are coming in the MLB draft because. The Mets are going to have a lot of picks and uh, a lot of things that they can do with them. So uh, get ready for some MLB draft talk to get you through, um, you know, the rest of this lockout. And, you know, I hope everyone has a happy new year. And yeah, I, let's just get ready because after new year, we'll also be talking about um, the bickering between the union and Major League Baseball. Oh, so, yeah, can't wait for that. But uh, no, uh, another good show. And like I said, the Mets always give us something to talk about. And uh, thank you all for the support. Uh, I see all the reviews on iTunes, which uh, next week I think we we have a question or two that I just looked and saw that are in there. So we'll have to hit those next week. But, you know, thanks all the support there. And then on the YouTube uh, channel with the streams that we're doing, we get a bunch of people chiming in during that. And, you know, our subscriber count's rising. We still still don't have a thousand. I'm waiting for that 1K number to sit, be next to that. So Mets. So um, go on YouTube, search that. So Mets hit subscribe, hit the little bell for notifications. Um, and, you know, just keep up with us on Twitter. We'll let you know kind of when we're going live and who we're bringing on. Have some cool guests that we're uh, talking about having shortly after the new year. So uh, definitely look forward to that. And yeah, like I said, everyone have a happy and safe new year. Don't drink and drive. Do the smart thing. Just hang out, relax, and enjoy it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. We will catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dawes. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.